Dialogue Media Studios here in lovely Cleveland, Ohio. This is the edifice of our demise. Hello all and welcome to the edifice of our demise, the show that takes a loving and longing look at the harbingers of our own doom. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino, and joining me is the Tannenbaum of Turpitude, the Mortify... Uh, oh, Mother of Pearl. Anyway, Ben Weinberg. Thank you. Oh, Ben, Ben, Ben. I had so many good ones. Uh, I think I made up a word and that's what screwed me up. Uh, I was going to say the moralizer of mistletoe for your okay. intro. Uh, in that it kind of forces people to kiss or at least provoke some kind of awkward social obligation to do so. I see. And I, I feel that would make you uncomfortable. Well, that and everything else. This is true. I mean, the entire idea of Christmas, I think, has a certain level of discomfort uh, to you, Ben. Oh, yes. So, Very palpable. Did you have a good Hanukkah? Uh, yes, it was a nice, quiet celebration, mm-hmm. as it usually is. New socks? Of course. Okay. And pencils. Oh, excellent, excellent. Now, did you get the pencil case? That's the that's the key acquisition. Uh, no, I did not get a pencil case. Wow, weren't a good boy this year for the Hanukkah. Apparently not. Yes. Hanukkah fairy, or did more importantly, did the candle stay lit? Oh yes, of course. Okay, all right. Well, it's a Hanukkah miracle. All right, Ben, are you feeling apocalyptic today? <laughs> yes, I am. You you notice my vast in depth knowledge of Hanukkah is coming yeah. to the fore here. Yes. Well, let's get it started with a little something we like to call Doom or Duh. This is where we just have uh, little headlines and we get a brief snippet of Ben's reaction and myself uh, with some little commentary and find out if they're, in fact, signs of the apocalypse. Ben, are you ready? Yes, I am. All right, Ben. First up, Dustin Diamond, a.k.a. Screech from Saved by the Bell. I don't need to tell you that. No. Is now serving a four-month prison sentence for pulling a knife at a bar during last Christmas. Doom. Or duh. Doom? Usually celebrities don't go to jail, although if he counts as a celebrity, I guess, is up for debate. Yeah, I, I, I'm, the, I'm the verge of celebrity. Although, at this point in his career, he kind of has all of the disadvantages of celebrity without any of the benefits. Because no one wants to pay him to do anything other than maybe to, like, cut a ribbon at, like, a sad car dealership or something, right? He is the perfect example of a sad celebrity fall from grace because everyone of our generation at least will know who he is and you need no elaboration on his fecklessness so (laughs) next time there's a celebrity boxing or something like that you know he's the perfect candidate yeah if there is a another uh sees wait was he already on the surreal life i know he did the celebrity boxing but it seems like yeah he's gone through all of the weird permutations of minor celebrity and now there's nothing left but sadness in his life. And I, I, you know, I don't wish that upon him, but it just seems to be the case. But in retrospect, isn't that inevitable based on his singularity of fame? I mean, he was famous for being not just a nerd, but a physically awkward nerd. Yeah. To the, to the tune of like any high school boy you could have put in that role and he could have just been himself. So he was never called upon for any of the things the way the others were. So it seems like this is inevitable. This well, is the inevitable I, end to his celebrity career. I think we think that's inevitable, but there's probably a ton of people that had 
you know, that were that one character that, that, you know, didn't necessarily become rich off of that. I'm sure he made a nice living off of Saved by the Bell. I'm not saying he's poor because of it, but, you know, that go off and get their CPA and are, you know, working in an office. And, oh, yeah, it's the guy that played, you know, some guy from Family Ties or something like that it works in my office or something like that. So the guy from the, Home Improvement, the kid, the, uh, the uh, Randy, I think yeah. I got an MBA or something. Really? Wow. After being in The Lion King, that seems unnecessary. No, no, no. You're thinking, wait. You're thinking of Jonathan Taylor Thomas, right, was in yes. The Lion King. He is also has his MBA? I'm pretty sure, yeah. I think he went to school. Good for him. I thought by Randy, meant the youngest. Wait, was that the youngest son? No, he was the middle one. I don't know anything about the youngest. Mark was the goth one. That was the That's youngest right. goth one. I loved when they wedged that storyline in there. It felt so inauthentic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nothing like a good goth story in a G-rated family scene. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the only reason I would think this is a, like a sign of doom is that it's this jail sentence has occurred so far after any like real celebrity that he had. Usually you would expect like some kind of drug scandal or something like Drew Barrymore style, like in Reed have at 13 or something but mm. this is like 25 or 20 years after he was relevant so that to me sign of doom all right next up on doom or dub ben a new poll finding that more than half of americans will do most of their christmas shopping on amazon doom or duh duh because the ease of online shopping lends itself perfectly to the lazy shopper who doesn't care enough to get off the couch to buy something for you, which seems to really be what the spirit of Christmas is all about. This is true. It's little thought as possible really is the Christmas dream. Yes, in fact, that's an interesting experiment. What can you get for everyone in your life with the absolute minimum of thought? I bet you could still pass for perceptive by shopping on Amazon. Whereas if you went to pretty much any store and you put no thought into a gift, it would show. This is Well, it used to be the gift card, right, was the classic example because you didn't know what to get. You were at the grocery store anyway, so you might as well pick up a couple gift cards for the kids. But now I feel like uh, Amazon's algorithms are so good at suggesting other things that uh, not necessarily needed. It, I, I, is, it right. a, is it a sign of doom, though, that it's just Amazon, right? You don't hear about any other online retailer having that much, even close to that kind of volume. You know, there's there's a couple, you know, deal websites that people go to. People obviously shop on, like, the online version of physical stores, you know, and you'll ship it to the store or just buy it direct from there. But Amazon just has this gigantic market share. Is that a sign of doom? Uh, I wouldn't. I, I, stick, I stick by my answer of duh. Because since they have everything, you can get something for everyone you need to buy for still without any thought or even without the extra effort of typing in a new website. It, it's really the one-stop shop for the lazy. I appreciate your conviction in your declaration. Next up on Doom or Duh, a change to UK copyright law that may require you to have a license to photograph classic designer objects even if you own said object. Doom or Duh? Now, hold on. Can Is it obtainable? Or is there some unnecessary hurdle, even if you own the object? You would need to obtain a license as if you were using a licensed song or another copyrighted so thing. And pay and for pay, it and everything? Yeah, a paid license. Doom. Why, 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 if you've already paid for the thing, uh, what is what, what are they fear is going to happen? Well, you've paid for ownership of it, but the, the idea is that it's the design that's actually copyrighted. And so for you to distribute the design... Uh, would then invoke the co the copyright under the new law. It's a it's a very kind of um, 
draconian, some have said. It, yes. I think it extends the copyright on physical objects from 25 years after they were first marketed to 70 years after the death of the designer. So if you wanted to go to the park and photograph a sculpture, like is is that applicable under this law? Uh, I, I'm not sure if works of art necessarily would be copyrighted, but like say you had um, like the Fraser chair or something like that. I forget what that actual chair is called or something in the UK. Okay. And, you know, that guy had died less than 70 years ago. You take a picture of it and you try and maybe post it on something that you're going to sell or something marketable. Then you could not do so without a license to do so. Same thing of using a song in a commercial that you don't own. I mean, to me, it's like it, it's the worst overreaching of copyright that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, uh, but uh, listen, uh, that's what the Kingdom United wants to do, I guess. I guess. What is this in response to? Do I, there must have been an incident, right? I think that they were the copyright laws were just kind of they needed to renew them, and there was a huge lobbying effort to uh, kind of add. I think what was people wanted to do was add more time to it, like it, to reflect more of the U.S. model of copyright, where Disney can just keep copywriting stuff for forever from someone who's been dead for fifty years. Okay. And they were moving to match that, and I think this was a provision that no one really looked at and didn't realize the implication of, and then someone was reading it after it had passed and goes, "Oh shit, we're in trouble." Yes, that sounds like, it, yes. It, it may be something, though, that even though they can do that, it would be so onerous to constantly have to send copyright notices because it's not like, it's much harder with images than it is with sound. Like sound, you can have a robot uh, or a bot or whatever scan any file on YouTube or whatever like that, look for copyrighted uh, mm -hmm. sounds that form to a very strict algorithm, whereas there are so many different angles and ways that you could shoot these iconic objects. There's no real... A fast and easy way to filter all of those out. So I feel like this is something that's going to be. It seems scary, but and and it, it's a bad precedent, but isn't going to be applicable to most people's lives. Yeah, yeah. Still a sign I mean, of doom, though. For hundred percent. Oh yes, still a sign of doom. It's the first step toward the end of time. <laughs> Next up on Doom or Duh, a North Carolina city rejecting an initiative to install solar panels with citizens concerned that it would quote block photosynthesis, cause cancer. And would cause young people to move out. Doom or duh? Well, my first instinct is doom. But first, I must clarify, is there any legitimate research to suggest any of those things might happen? Or is this just Southern this hick anti-science fear? This is pure fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, yeah, total, has, yeah, total doom. Total doom. <laughs> uh, as much as I want to chalk this up to uh, yokel ignorance, even this is a step too far. I mean, this is like <laughs> Mr. Burns level of <laughs> apocalypse. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. It'd be one thing if, yeah, the plan was to block out the sun. Then I could see that blocking photosynthesis. But uh, and and just some of the that those were the more extreme exit polls. But even the more uh, benign, I guess, uh, concerns that people had were still ridiculous to anyone that did a rudimentary amount of education. Yes. And finally, on Doomer Duh, Ben, earthquake beds, Doom. <laughs> Or duh. Doom, I sent this to you. Uh, over the, the soundtrack week. on that video alone was magnificent. If you haven't seen this, just Google like earthquake proof beds and there's this weird animated uh, video for this product. Ben, where did you find this? I, uh, I believe I read about it in one of the newspapers. Um, and it, uh, it, the, the point is... If there is some sort of shaking in your house or apartment building, it will trigger a sensor in this what looks like a steel coffin, but it's supposedly 
uh, it'll prevent rubble from falling on you, and it supposedly has supplies built into the bottom, like water and food and everything. But it's unclear from the video that you could be able you, that you'd be able to reach these supplies. Also, there's nowhere to go to the bathroom, I don't think. And even so, even if you weren't crushed by your collapsing house, you're still buried under rubble. You can't get out, and no one would be able to find your body, so they would just find this weird King Tut-like sarcophagus. <laughs> I don't think it would save your life, and the video is so... It's, it's terrifying, but it's also so ridiculous that it can't be helped. The video shows, like, the center of the bed collapsing, and... Uh, like, so the two sides kind of fold up, like, into a V, and you sink down into the middle, and once you've sunk, like, below the sides, this top comes across and seals you in. Yeah, like, it looks hard terrifying. metal door just, like, slams over top of it. And but even, did you watch the one that has two people in the bed? Oh, yes. <laughs> because they, like, fall on top of each other? It's, oh. Yes. Listen, it's an earthquake. It's not supposed to be pleasant, Ben, all right? And there were bottles of water and a first aid kit, so I think you'll be fine. And I guess, I mean, this is supposed to save your life during the apocalypse. So you would think we'd be all over it, but no, it's too ridiculous. Well, see, but we're not trying to survive the apocalypse. We're merely trying to see it coming, say, these are our last days. Let's have a salute to all the things that brought us here. I see. So you and I will be standing out in the backyard holding hands, wiping away a tear as the end of times arrives. I believe so. Uh, I, I, we've seen deep impact. I think that's how it has to go. Oh, I wouldn't want it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ben, are you ready for a little apocalypse revisited? We've got some stories that are kind of coming back. One just from last week, uh, but it's too good not to go into. Big Pharma douche and guy who bought the Wu-Tang album has been arrested for fraud uh, with some of his various companies that he has started. Ben, should we be concerned that karma seems to be ruthlessly efficient in this case? Well, in this case, uh, he seems to have get, gotten exactly what he deserves. So, uh, I. But do we want karma to be that quick in coming around? Because everyone was like... This guy is an asshole. He's clearly doing something that's grossly immoral, uh, but technically not illegal. And then he just rubs it in everybody's faces by like buying this cultural object that he cannot appreciate. And then to, to get arrested for fraud, it just seems too instantaneous. It's not an episode of My Name is Earl. You know, it, it, karma's not supposed to work like this. First of all, nice reference. Thank you. Second of all... Last week, I believe you asked me in a quiz if I required that justice be immediate. <laughs> and I said, no, I was fine with long-term karma, and I'm going to stick with that. Uh, I'm just glad karma happened. I, yeah, this, I can feel all is right with the world. This does give like a, a sense of hope that like maybe there is some absolute justice. Yes, yes, it does. And all, but I mean, to be fair, though, like not like every serial killer is like horrifically killed immediately. After, you know, like there, it, it's still kind of minor in the grand scheme of things, but it just, it tastes so good. But this guy was such an overt jerk mm -hmm. and delighted in it that the universe had to do something to show us that we could believe in some kind of personal agency. <laughs> this, I, I had said this in an email to you that this guy is like the embodiment of everything that Chuck Palahniuk hates. Yeah, oh yes. That's and this it exactly. just seems like a twist on this. But then the, like there would be another twist on top of it where like after he spends time in jail, he becomes like a Buddhist monk and then like sells the Wu-Tang out. Like there's something weird would happen in the next chapter to kind of bring it all around. Yeah, he would, he would somehow eschew consumerism but then he would be made into a false idol. Yes, and, but, and find no redemption at the end. 
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and he would he would he would find a woman and fall in love and then realize that their love was ultimately pointless. It's, I I would read that. I think we just I yes. <laughs> Let's we, should, we, we, we should start our own Mad Lib. <laughs> The Chuck Pound. Oh, God, I'd just be weeping at the end of every single one. All right. Next up on Apocalypse Revisited. Ben, I don't know if you heard about this little movie called Star Wars, but it's officially out. Star Wars. Star Wars. Wars. Okay. I'm I'm not familiar with that. I've heard of Trek. I've heard of Gate. Yes. I've heard of Search. (laughs) I'm not familiar with the wars. Well, well played, sir. Well, the movie is out. It's breaking all sorts of records at the box office. Uh, but the forced magnitude of this cultural event has kind of taken an odd turn. I don't know if you've noticed this, Ben, but the internet, bastion of chaos and poor taste, has banded together to basically cause a blackout on unintentional spoilers for the film. Reddit has gone so Reddit has gone so far as to ban users who post spoilers. This from a site that until recently passively condoned such spaces for hate as fat people hate. Ben, is it a good sign that there is still any kind of social standard on the internet, or sad that it only occurs around a movie? Said that it only occurs around a movie because the internet has to be unfin- unflinchingly democratic, or it requires some uh, safeguard to protect us from ourselves. But it can't have just one. Like it can't choose one. You know, it can't pick its incidents with which to uh, stand up for itself because then. You just open the door for terrible people to have a small exception and perpetuate hate. I, I, I think it's just a sad commentary that this movie is such an icon, the franchise, that it can do anything it wants from any standpoint it wants. Everyone loves it, and it's super profitable. And, to many a surprise, the reviews of the new one say that it's actually a good movie. So there's really nothing uh, assailable about this which is why it gets away with so many things but it opens the door to to, uh, yeah like how can the idea of bending the internet to your will and and admittedly to a good like to like because no one i mean i don't like being like hearing a spoiler on something that i i want to experience like i'm gonna go see that movie today because i want to you know like i despite the fact that i'm being forced to want to go see it i do want to go see it like i'm acknowledging that it's been marketed down my throat it's pulled at my nostalgia at every turn and it's been specifically marketed to make me want to do it i'll admit i still want to go see it i like i don't mind that it doesn't bother me and the fact that by all reports it's a good movie on top of that is an extra bonus so i don't want it spoiled for me and i appreciate that i don't really it doesn't seem like i have to worry about it like everyone's going out of their way to like all the reviews are spoiler free review of star wars on like every single review site at the same time it just seems so weird that this unwranglable uh, mass that is the internet has willfully directed itself in one direction for just this one thing. It just freaks me out. Yes, it freaks me out that so many people agree and that they agree on something that is so inconsequential in the scheme of life. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like it's like we could agree on no Star Wars spoilers, but healthcare for everybody. Yeah, I don't think so. Exactly. We, yeah. we, we, there's no way we can agree on that. Black Lives Matter, but <laughs> Star Wars. Harrison Ford is back. <laughs> but I want—I don't want to know anything about it until I see it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, thanks for spoiling that for me. It wasn't Uh-oh. in wasn't in every trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you could argue that the marketing for Star Wars did more to spoil the movie than 
anything. I mean, not and by all accounts, I guess the marketing has been fairly ambiguous, but there are like everyone's going through so many trailers and so many, you know, shot by shot analyses of every single thing that's been put out there that, you know, I, I feel like that is tantamount to a spoiler. Well, I've seen absolutely nothing about the plot. Now, I don't know anything about Star Wars, so maybe there are weird names that are said that I don't understand, but I've not seen anything in trailers or commercials that tell me what the movie's about. All I see is uh, lightsabers and phasers, whatever those guns are. The blasters. I believe blasters blasters is the nomenclature. Fine. Blasters. And some space stuff. And that's it. I really have no idea what it's about. I assume there's a rift in the Galactic Empire or something. Uh, so I think they've uh, they've done a good job of not spoiling anything. But this is also the type of movie where you don't need to really even have a trailer. I mean, everyone is going to seek it out anyway. Yeah, this was the first movie in a, in a while where the question wasn't, are you going to go see it? It's when are you going to go see it? And the last time I can remember that was probably Avatar. Which I, I, I have a love hate relationship with James Cameron, uh, so I, I ended up never seeing that movie. Uh, did you see it in the theater, Ben? I did not see it at all. I abstained. And the the one before that was probably Titanic. Was the other movie where it was just assumed that everyone saw that movie, and yes. my parents wouldn't let me see it because there was a topless scene in it. Oh. And to be honest, I didn't want to sit in the theater and watch a topless scene with my parents, so That's I fair. didn't make a big deal about going. Yes, I had no interest in Titanic. But that was also a different era this because, uh, you know, a few less movies, you could uh, bigger events. I feel like it was it was e- I don't know if it was easier to have a bigger movie, but it was easier to maybe grab the cultural zeitgeist with something like that. But not only that, back in 1997, I think it was, mm-hmm. it was at least six months, if not a year before it came out on home video and there was no uh, streaming yes. or anything. So if you didn't go see it in the theater, you couldn't see it any other way. Mm-hmm. Whereas now it's going to be out on DVD or streaming or whatever pretty quickly, uh, and that's if you haven't bootlegged it. So uh, there are plenty of other ways to see it soon, whereas back then if you didn't go to see it, you could not participate in the cultural conversation. Was that a double box DVD? Was that like a two cassette DVD thing? Of uh, Titanic? Yeah. I mean, that's like isn't it over two and a half hours? Um, it could be. I don't know about Titanic. I know interested and have never seen it. But I do remember another DiCaprio venture. I think it was Gangs of New York, which required two DVDs. Like you would change the disc in the middle of the movie, which now seems just heinous to everything that America stands for. Um, having to but, get up. Yeah. Just uh, are we but, savages. Yeah, apparently we are. Apparently we are. So I had to do that surprise. for a copy of Braveheart. It was rough. Yeah. You didn't uh, refuse to put in the second disc? Uh, no, no, no. It was a VHS. It was a the double VHS. Uh-huh. Wow. That's old school. It was weighty. Mm-hmm. Now, Ben, are, if, you said you have you don't really know the Star Wars universe. You've seen the films, have or have you? I don't. Oh yes, I, I've seen the original. One of mm-hmm. my good childhood friends is obsessed to this day. So I've seen. I've seen the original movies. The originals are good movies. They're fine, but ultimately. They are the essence of just good movie making in general, and that is you have good versus evil tropes, and you have wanting to save the world, and you have somewhat of a personal stake and a time element, and uh, it's inherently what all dramatic movies are supposed to be about. It's kind of classical storytelling, well, and and done in a in, in an interesting visual medium. Yes, that's exactly right. They give an interesting visual twist to a, a familiar. 
in, in fact, like an important trope, like to try to make a dramatic movie without those elements would probably be to your detriment. Now, the prequels, or whatever the second three are called, were so terrible and so CGI-laden at the expense of everything that I could not get excited about them in any way. And it's, you know, I can watch the originals with a fond reverence of the era, Mm -hmm. but the other three just are so bad that it negates any goodwill I may have built up with the original franchise. Do you think that the fact that the movie is purportedly very good uh, that that's feeding into the no spoiler uh, mentality about it, like that it you know you want to maintain uh, because it's good, it's worth keeping this secret. Whereas if it was even mediocre or just okay or you know as bad as the prequels, there wouldn't be this kind of reverence toward it, even though it's from a beloved uh, uh, franchise. Yeah, definitely because people love the idea of Star Wars and they want it to be so good. If it is, it's it's something you just can't. You don't you don't want to ruin it because mm-hmm. how often does how often do you really look forward to a movie or a book or any piece of media or anything and then it turns out to be that good? I'm trying to even remember the last movie I was really looking forward to that was actually as good as advertised. I would say for me, something that was just hyped a ton was probably like the Lord of the Rings series of movies. I know like for a lot of people they're boring and there's just so many characters and names and stuff like that, but. For me, for like a high fantasy, really big book series, I thought that delivered in a way that I couldn't even imagine. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm trying to remember, and I can't even think of something that was supposed to be that good and then it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, I would say something like Avengers. I was just shocked that a studio would be – was able to pull that off. The movie itself is fun. It's popcorn fair. Like, it's what movies are for, you know? It, it's it's not going to be remembered in, like, 30 years, though, as, like, redefining cinema or, no. you know, pushing boundaries of... Other than pushing boundaries of maybe a shared universe, maybe... And if that becomes, like, a huge trend, then maybe that'll be a, a milestone for that. But I don't think, like, as a film, it's going to be remembered as this all-time, you know, classic no. great. I think it's, gonna, it's a fun movie. I enjoy it. I will watch it uh, if it's on TV. I think I have it on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. I will turn it on and I will enjoy myself. But it's it's not... I wouldn't put it up there with Star Wars where that kind of changed a lot of the visuals of movies. At least, you know, the first one, it kind of pushed uh, boundaries of special effects. I would agree. All right, Ben, are you ready for a little... Apocalypse chat? Yes, I am. Okay, I just want to make sure. Uh... We have an interesting story out of the University of Antwerp. I know it's a hotbed of apocalyptic news. There's Aren't a, they playing at a bowl game this week? Uh, yeah, it's the uh, Meineke Car Care Bowl, University of Antwerp versus Citadel. Okay. Uh, a, there is now a program from the University of Antwerp that can accurately determine, uh, or the aim of it is to accurately determine hit dance songs. Uh, it's not a perfect system yet, but it's being developed to determine the probability that a song will become a hit. Right now, they fed in all the information from 1985 to 2015 or 2014 of the hit songs and using a variety of ways to slice up these songs into constituent components and kind of analyze the relationship between all of them. It went through the top 10 in 2015 and on an average gave uh, there was like a 75 percent probability that those songs would that were hits would have become hits based on how it broke it down. The actual range went from like mid-60s to high-80s in terms of confidence for the program. But Ben, will this lead to the end of days in that no kind of human input? Is this the first step for having no human input uh, on 
at least one genre of popular music? Or is this just a side effect of the fact that, you know, this is music made by computers, now analyzed by computers? Yes. <laughs> Second, no. It, 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 on first blush, it sounds like it completely removes human agency from the act of making popular music. But then you think about, well, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> so people are already not performing actual instruments to record this music. They're not using, you know, musical uh, time signatures and uh, keys and tones and everything, whereas they're just letting GarageBand suggest a backbeat or whatever. So I don't think this is going to... uh, This is another step in the downward spiral, but I think popular music is already, A, terrible, and B... Um, not made by actual instruments that I don't think this is doing any more damage. But it is interesting that if the if the program can determine a uh, composition that is a hit, you, people would just make tracks with that composition in the hopes of getting a hit, but then if everyone does that, does it flood the airwaves such that we have to go back to the system of actual user choice to determine what's good? Well, that's an interesting question. It kind of goes with the, my thought on it was that it's using you know the past to kind of uh, correlate what's going to be successful in the future. But how much of that is, you know, um, I don't know, uh, deterministic, I guess, because as things go on, it's going to keep moving on. So every year they're going to have more data from songs that were already hits. And that's going to skew it one way or the other as like, you know, faster songs become more popular or songs that are darker or songs that, you know, have a certain tone balance or something like that. I I feel like, yes, for one sliver of time, it might be able to be super accurate. But as music gradually changes, as again, people get sick of certain sounds or something like that, I don't know if it will be... You know, if the, if if there's like a perfect track out there that you know at any given time would be a number one hit, I I think it can only be predictive of up to a certain point in time, and I think that's might be the salvation of it. But going to your point of you know people aren't making you know music, they're letting uh, machines or computers or what have you that there are layer more layers of abstraction between uh, the conception of music, performing it, and recording it. Um, I think it might get to a point, maybe not for a little bit of a, of a while now, where maybe the people that are building the tools to build stuff as we uh, have our music become more and more computerized, you know, maybe we have, hey, let's have dance hit number 37, computer, draw that up for me. Maybe it's the people that are developing the tools to make music as that becomes um, less obscured by technical jargon. Maybe that will be brought in more into the, the forefront. Maybe the new producers will be people that produce the new algorithms that create music because ultimately someone has to develop the system even if it's just to create a song someone is developing the system that develops the system it, it starts somewhere from some sort of human uh, uh interaction and but so doesn't, yes I, I think the problem will be that maybe those people will never get uh recognition as artists 
you know, because they're working on something explicitly technical. But I could see, whereas, you know, the idea of a producer, it used to be, oh, the producer was the guy who masters a track, who's fiddling with the levels. Now, if you look at, uh, you know, in EDM, in dance music, or and in, uh, the EDM stands for electronic dance music, but uh, if you look even in, you know, hip-hop and a lot of different uh, genres, the producer is really the person who's putting the music together. And so as that relationship has evolved, I could definitely see like maybe on a more technical aspect that moving from something that's just a behind the scenes uh, uh, role to something that has, is much more prominent. But isn't that more uh, uh, singular? So each iteration of, uh, of technology requires less collaboration so if you're actually recording a song you have the whole band you have the lead singer you have the people who wrote it and you have all those people producing it one level up from that you have maybe you know a few people in garage band creating a sound and then you now you have like whoever team made this algorithm the farther and farther away you go from the original actual playing of music i feel like there are fewer people creating these things that are then used by everyone or at the very least it's not a collaborative effort. So the farther away you get from the actual of real music would seem to create a bottleneck for who can participate. And you have at one end people making these algorithms telling you what's good mm. as opposed to anyone can get in a studio and record something on actual instruments and you might not record a hit and you might not record you know a whole song that's even good, but you might come away with some riff or some minor thing which could contribute to a larger project. So there's still an element of user agency and collaboration that I don't think you would have. Each iteration removed, you become from actual playing of real instruments. That is a good point that, yeah, as, as the the person who creates the tools becomes more important, it could lead to more of like a mono, a musical monoculture. You could argue we're already there, at least, uh, uh, you know, in the West or whatnot. Uh, but... It, yeah, that that is a really good point. But the other thing about all of this is, while you know, uh, clearly EDM is uh, the kind of the next wave of what's going to be popular. Like I'm sure, I mean, maybe it'll be old hat by the time you know um, the next generation kind of comes around. But right now, that's kind of like the new hotness or whatnot. Um, whereas you know, uh, previously, like hip hop was like the the uh, on the edge of what was new and before that, you know, it was rock and before that, you know, multiple other kind of uh, genres of music. But at, I guess because of how few people are actually buying records, like there, Adele is the exception to that where she stands far and above any other record sales. You know, if someone sells, uh, I don't know, a million records, that's considered like world shattering uh, success, you know, whereas, 30 years ago, you know, okay, you were a you were a mid-level player if you were selling that many records. And because there are so many different ways to get so many different types of music out there, I think more the concern would be more that there is less and less of a uniform music culture that the that you know what uh someone that lives a block down from you is not listening to anything that you would even recognize because there's so many different avenues and ways of getting uh, uh, music outside of, you know, the traditional means of like radio or MTV or even, uh, you know, something like iTunes. You know, you, there are just so many different ways with SoundCloud, with Bandcamp, with uh, all these other, uh, you, you know, YouTube uh, uh, stars that are making their own music. There are so many different ways to get that that I think more of the concern was that it gets so atomized that uh, music almost becomes unrelatable beyond an individual or beyond a very small group of people. 
I think you just described your and my uh, college experience. (laughs) (laughs) Just a bunch of confused people going, we have no idea what you're listening to, you weirdos. Yes, pretty much. And even (laughs) you and our other roommate, Dave, would know all these hipster bands that I had no idea about. And you would have heard them from some insider-ish grapevine. And this was uh, early, mid-2000s when there wasn't certain avenues like YouTube. So, uh, that was true even then. A lot of that was you know, listening to college radio or listen, or we would buy music or I would buy music magazines and say, I read an article about music. I want to listen to this, right? Like how antiquated does that seem? So like, I, I think we, we can't even, uh, there, there are going to be ways to get music out there to people that are interested in hearing it that we haven't even thought of yet. Uh, and that's going to change what is heard and what is popular. So I, I get less concerned about, okay, a computer can determine like one genre is a hit, but you know, how long is the, uh, is the heyday of that genre going to last for? How does that change? I mean, dance music is notorious. Uh, and you know, before it was EDM, it was electronic or whatever you want to call it is notorious for being super fickle with trends. Right? So every like three years there's a there's like a totally new trend and anything before that is passe and horrible and terrible and cheesy and then there's this you know uh you know dubstep is a is an example of that where it just blew up and like that's the only music people wanted to hear if you were into edm and now it's kind of passe and you know kind of considered uh, a little bit of a cliche so it, it's interesting that they it seems like they've figured this out but i i don't think that's going to be that it's going to be very meaningful Okay, well, I will hold you to that. I hope it's not very meaningful because the concern for me is not even what's popular, but that we're being told what's going to be a hit, which isn't that a self-fulfilling prophecy. How many how many top um, hits can you name where you didn't know anyone who actually liked the song? And I think that's because there's a lot of paid placement and other non-music factors that determine what becomes a hit. And if you're being told this is a hit... It's uh, it's an end around against the actual crowdsourcing of becoming a hit because people actually like it. So it's more concern for me that it's we're we're being told that it's going to be big because we're being directed to do something as consumers. Because you could if it's just you know this is a good song. There are algorithms like you know Spotify or any of your Pandora stations, you know that through some algorithm know what you've told it you like and can make similar recommendations. So the idea of the algorithm isn't even new, but in those cases, there's still your choice, mm-hmm. uh, which in they're trying to take that element away when they tell us what's going to be a hit and what we are supposed to follow, and that's more concerning to me than whether or not they can accurately accurately predict. Well, but I think that. You know, looking back uh, to the history of radio, you know, payola has always been a part of, you know, pay to play has always kind of been a part of that, you know, even when it's, you know, supposedly illegal. So when there were only three radio stations in your town and that was the only way that you could hear new music and, you know, a certain signal was getting played three times an hour or something like that, that's pretty much them telling you that's going to be a hit. Now, admittedly, you don't have to go out and buy it. But that's you know it, it may, they may not have had an algorithm, but they had you know some dude like in a dirty sport coat smoking a cigar, handing you a twenty to play this you know seven inch or something like that. So it there, there's always people telling you what you need to listen to. A lot of people are you know some people are going to listen to that. Some people are going to say if it's a good song, I'll listen to it. If not, and then other people are going to reject it because it's popular. So uh, I don't I don't necessarily see that being a huge sea change in how uh, you know 
that people are being told now to like something. People have always been told that they need to like something, either whether it's through public pressure or through you know commercial interests or whatnot. All right, I suppose that's fair. Wow, that was uh, remarkably compliant for you, Ben. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I don't know anything about elect. What's it called? EDM. EDM yeah. Okay, so the is, electronic dance music. Okay, so can can you give me an example of an artiste that I that is popular with the kids in such a genre? Well, uh, Daft Punk. I don't know if it's popular with the kids, but is like kind of still a big name in uh, okay. EDM. All right, but so Daft Punk is they're, is they're kind of the exception though because they they buck a lot of trends. They're they're not they don't one they don't release a ton of stuff. Two, they're not ultra trendy. Uh, in terms of like following, like they didn't release a dubstep album or anything like that, um, but uh, they still have a lot of staying power for whatever reason. Yes. Okay. All right. So I think that though will wrap up this episode of the Edifice of Our Demise, Ben. This has been a lovely conversation, as and, always, and I think it'll be a great Christmas gift for all of our listeners. <laughs> okay. I'm demanding it. In fact, all right. Give this. Put it on a flash drive. Give this to the people you love if you never want to speak to them again. Uh, but if you have any topics that you think should be covered here on the show by me or Ben, you think needs to come under our critical gaze, you can send it to us in a number of ways. Uh, the best way is probably Twitter, at Edifice Demise. You can also do it email, edificeofourdemise at gmail.com or facebook.com slash edificeofourdemise. We try and keep those all up to date and interactive with you, the listening public. Ben, any final words before we take off? Uh, no, just to wish you and your family a merry, happy uh, go-to-the-movies day, whatever it is yes. that you used to call it. <laughs> we'll, we will have a uh, very merry Christmas, and uh, I hope you enjoy seeing whatever movie you decide to go see. I hear Sisters is quite funny, and uh, maybe get some Chinese food while you're at it. Of course. All right, well, that just about does it for us. So remember, until next time we meet, have a super sparkly day. Unless the apocalypse gets you hurt. Holler.